Welcome to EIS Navigator. I'm your host, Brian Moretta. This is the second part of our discussion with Lee Coates of ESG Accord. Legislative changes mean that both advisors and fund managers have to take more account of ESG and what they're doing. Lee has been involved in green investing for three decades and is well-placed to talk about what it means for advisors, fund managers, and investors. If you joined the podcast, don't forget you can subscribe through all good podcast services or following the links in the show notes. If you have any suggestions for future topics or guests, then you can email us at inquiries at harmanco.com. Without any further ado, enjoy this episode. So earlier you mentioned about labelling, and I yeah. think this is the second bit of second bit of legislation, second change that we've seen recently about the sustainable disclosure regulations that are really impacting, no pun intended, about what's going on in this area. Um, That's a good one. Yep. Do you want to tell us a little about what these these this change is going to bring? Yeah. Or is bringing? Um, it, it, it will bring, it will come. Well, we're looking for the policy statement from the FCA in uh, Q3, so it's it's coming. It was supposed to be the 30th of June, but they had so many responses and have sort of taken those responses and seen where changes need to be made. So we're looking mm-hmm. at Q3. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is most people refer to the sustainable disclosure requirements as the labels rules, and they are because SDR introduces labels but probably of greater impact, especially in the tax-efficient space, is, is, is the SDR bit, not the labels. So so take a, a step back for a minute. So the labels, at the moment, they proposed that if any fund wants to use ESG, sustainable, impact, responsible, planet, green, anything around that language, in order to use that language in their marketing and product design, they have to have a label, and they will be sustainable improvers, sustainable focus, and sustainable mm-hmm. impact. And and roughly, what do those three labels mean? Sustainable improvers. That that that's what I call the the mass market response, which is if you go into the psychology of a client. I'm not perfect. I drive a car. I do recycle. I, I want things to be better, but it's a it's a path. So flip that around and that's exactly the description for sustainable improvers fund managers are going into oil companies and saying and they're not saying you're nasty because you're an oil company they're having a conversation about how do you become an energy company how do you transition what's your process for transitioning to an uh, you know a, a, an environment where you will be the pariah you know if if the british government is committed to net zero you don't fit in net zero what are you going to do we still like you, we like the management. So can you be an energy company leading the the, the 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 move to net zero rather than digging your heels in? Because at some point we're just going to walk away because you won't be a company that we're interested in investing in. So those are improvers. Sustainable of focus is what it says on the tin, really. The, the, the investment strategy is to invest primarily in companies focus on delivering sustainability and then impact is is the same thing but a, a bit more specialized in terms of you must be able to demonstrate impact so a company has a, that has a you know a process that improves or reduces carbon emissions uh, that that's a sustainable investment an impact would have to would have to be measured how many tons of carbon is being saved by that process or how many children are being saved by having an impact in investing in child-friendly policies, whatever. So you've got the three labels. So different between sustainability th- impact in this regulation, because this is something that I, I, I think it 
bears just a bit of discussion because to me, my, my mind, these things are not necessarily crystal clear. So sustainable is beneficial. It's not just like, okay, we're not doing anything bad. We're not doing anything good. There's, there's a sort of a neutral position. Sustainable in this yeah. is, is we're, we're doing something positive. We can't necessarily quantify it. And impact is we are quantifying that. Um, yeah. yeah. From a values perspective, it, it's interesting. You, you, as the FCA have been told by, by many people, there, there will be ethical funds that are greener, more sustainable than a sustainable impact fund because a sustainable impact fund will have oil and gas in it. But it's all about intentionality. What is the intention of the fund? And the intention of an ethical fund isn't to be sustainable. It's not written into its M&As about it being a sustainable fund. It's a it's a good but accidental byproduct of saying we won't invest in fossil fuels. That is not being marketed and promoted as a sustainably directed. So the three labels are about how that direction is applied. It, the fund must be set up to invest sustainably as its main thing obviously mm -hmm. and to make money yeah. not to invest <laughs> sustainably and lose it nicely <laughs> uh, so it must be there to do all the other things but focused in a way so so the, the improvers are about trying to change companies make them better and that that goes across a you know a broad spectrum but on sustainability it's taking fossil fuel companies and turning them into energy companies but focus is about who's delivering the tech to, to make net zero happen. And then impact is about probably a, a lot of it is, is good on the S, but it, um, on the social side in ESG, but on the environmental side, investing for measurable impact that by making this investment, you have achieved X or Y has, has happened. And that, that's particularly good that there's a natural correlation between clients that want to invest for impact and going for tax-efficient products because there's far more of a direct flow of capital if, if you've got an EIS or VCT set up as an impact investment, you can actually see that capital flow right through. This company exists. It is a, every day that it remains in business, it is achieving a measurable impact. Whereas an EIS or VCT that applies for an improver's label, actually it's probably quite difficult because you're investing in startups. So mm -hmm. you're going to start bad and then improve <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe more for the um mm -hmm. you know quoted market that they already have a legacy. But you can certainly have a sustainable focus, EIS or VCT. And just saying the companies we're looking for in this EIS and VCT are companies who are going to deliver sustainability and make money in the process. I mean that's the key. These companies are going to achieve an aim and make money at it. And the faster that aim is achieved, the more money they'll make and the more political pressure. Because it's one of the few areas in investment where there is downward political pressure. The government have said, we will, UK will be net zero. Mm -hmm. Now, it's up to businesses to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to me, I mean, it's interesting what you talk about there in terms of improvers, because it seems to me... One of the things, so the venture capital, to my mind, one of the venture capital sort of industries, raison d'etre, is actually improving governance. Because mm. you're getting companies that start with, you know, right at the early stage, governance is terrible. 
because it's the two guys or two people who started the company and they sit and they chat and every year they sort of have formally have a board meeting sort of thing sign off and that's kind of where they go and venture capitalists they form abroad they get a chairman they bring directors in they they improve the structures and that's kind of what venture capital industries its, it's main focus is so improvers i can almost see actually fits any venture capital fund in one sense yes whether you know the, the social side people tend to be more neutral but the environmental's a bit more interesting well, the thing that i think is really interesting me about that is that if you think about what you know we speak about you speak about net zero there and what investors are really interested in the really interesting environment and unfortunately venture capital you know governance is kind of a second thought, I would think, at best. And I don't yep. know if, if that's a, a challenge or just something that's just a fact and we live with it. Well, I think if you, if you broaden out governance to include external impacts, as a company grows, environmental legislation is going to impact on that company. It may not. I mean, it depends. Obviously, it depends on what sector it's in. But, you know, I think the phrase is license to operate. So a company has to repeatedly justify its license to operate because these externalities are saying, yeah, but, you know, you, 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 as you grow, or part of the growth process, a strategy, let's say, for the business is when we get to a certain size, we will move production from Oxfordshire to India or China. And then we can access cheaper labor, less questions asked, in generalization here but you know where i'm going on this one and so from a governance perspective how do you manage those externalities and how do you manage the license to operate if during that growth spurt of the business somebody writes an article to say this company's growing and look at where it look and look at where it's going hey this, it rhymes as well <laughs> and, <laughs> so you read the arc and think oh yeah I was, I was reading about that company yeah doing really well oh why do they have to go and do that why do they have to go and bring in child labour? Couldn't they have, you know, and so you've got those external pressures on the company as well as investor pressure to say maximise returns. But you've also got to do that within a broader context of licence to operate. So, you know, what the governance structure is, is not just about have you got, you know, NEDs and, and, and a chair and all that sort of stuff. It's about how those those responsible for the business understand those risks on the business and risks come from so many different factors increasing legislation from the government you know if you were manufacturing a internal combustion engine car and hadn't noticed the government commitment to net zeros and you can't sell an ice car beyond whatever 2030 something whatever the date is and you hadn't noticed as a, because the two people that set up the business are so focused on on developing the the most powerful internal combustion engine to fit in uh, a smart car mm-hmm. i don't know um <laughs> and they're so focused on that they actually hadn't lifted their heads up to go no one's going to buy this thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah no one's going to be able to they may mm-hmm. want to even mm-hmm. if they wanted to they won't be allowed to buy it because the rules say we can't sell it after this date. So that's where, you know, good governance comes in and saying, could you not just channel your clearly brilliant technical expertise into something that's actually going to sell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
So you've seen a lot of what people are doing in the market. What's your take on how far along fund managers or advisors are in these sort of things? From the advisor side of things, we 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 did a lot of research and we have um we have a, a quadrant that we've actually shared with the FCA because it was so useful. And we found that top left, imagine four squares, top left were understand it, know what it is, and do it, as in ESG and sustainability. Doesn't don't have to do it from an evangelical sense, not as in if you don't invest in ESG and sustainability, we're all going to go to hell. But just we have a process, it's there, ask the questions. Client doesn't want it to go one way, client does want it, go the other, agnostic, but a good process. Then you got the I understand what it is, but I'm I'm not quite sure how to do it. Brigade, top right, bottom left will be not quite sure what it is, not quite sure what I have to do, and definitely don't know what I don't know. And then the bottom right, where the ones I say are queuing for the retirement bus, which will be a probably a hydrogen fuel cell, clean green bus, <laughs> um, but uh, don't know, don't care, not interested. Before anybody finds out that I haven't done anything on consumer duty, I'll be out of here anyway. As mm-hmm. long as I can sell my business, which is a different discussion. Will they be able to sell their business if the buyer has half a brain cell and says, what's your process for consumer duty? I don't have one. Hmm. So I don't know how many liabilities I'm picking up. Selling, Telling me you've got 5,000 clients that you haven't put through consumer duty. Less interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think the consumer duty is optional. I think advisors know that. So... What, what, I, I suspect, other than people who sort of retire in a few months, I, I suspect that bottom bottom quadrant that you talk about is probably fairly small. Yeah, and and their reaction, because obviously we were asking about you know ESG and sustainability, their reaction to ESG and sustainability probably comes partly from a, it's all change and I can't be bothered, but also probably reflects so many other aspects of the way that that business is run. It's not just about they don't do ESG and sustainability very well. They probably don't do other things very well as well, because I've never had a complaint in 30 years. Everything I do is right. Hmm, okay, you haven't really followed the regulatory flow here have you and maybe after if they have been doing 30 years they probably are near retirement Uh anyway so that that's for advisors and for fund managers less less around the i don't know what i don't know more a question of i'm not sure how much of an impact so if you look at eis and vct on the disclosure side say everybody talks about labels the interesting thing is on the disclosure so if you want to label you have to disclose that you meet the label and do sort of things but those funds that don't apply for a label so a fund could say okay we're not going to go for a label we're not going to market ourselves as sustainable we're just going to carry on as normal they have to have based on the consultation paper that came out last year they have to have a sustainable statement and they have to publish that every year which says we don't take ESG and sustainability into account. They have to put it in writing. And this is a bit that's slowly filtering through. All the focus is on do we want a label or don't we want a label? We don't want a label. Job done. SDR does an impact on us. Mm-hmm. They haven't got they haven't got turned over the page, you know. <laughs> page two. You have to tell people. I think every it's more year, than page people, two, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, was, it was a big consultation paper. But yeah, so you have to tell the public mm-hmm. from whom you want to extract money that you do not apply ESG and sustainable factors at all and explain why. 
And it might be a really good reason we don't think governance works because our primary focus is to make money and we don't ask questions. Now I mean... I haven't met anyone EIS and VCT world who, who, who would say that particularly on the governance side, but... No. Um, but, yeah, so, but have it... But, but again, if you unpack ESG, mm-hmm. what they're saying is, and, and this, again, this needs to really be understood... I don't mean that in a in a condescending sense, but it's about joining up so many different dots. Uh-huh. When a funds when a when a fund says, okay, well this we don't have a problem disclosing uh, that we don't do ESG. Well, you do because you have to then explain why environmental, social, and governance is not a factor. So actually, what you're saying is, whilst the broad definition of ESG is environmental, social, and governance, we do not apply the E and the S for these reasons. Of course, we apply governance. But even that requires the board to sign off the explanation. Somebody has to sit down and write that, put it in a document, and advisors have to make that put that in front of a client every time they make a recommendation. So I'd like to recommend ABC VCT to you. Here is the key features. Here is the other information that you have to I have to give you about the fund. And here is their sustainability mm-hmm. statement. As you can see, they don't do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think yeah, I, I think the positive thing about EIS and VCT land is that there's very few people who are gonna say say when they actually sit down and figure out what they've got to say, say they don't do it. I you know, I I, I remember not that long ago reviewing a fund and the fund manager said, We're not an ESG fund manager. Yeah, fine, fair enough. But when you dig down, yeah, yeah, they've got really strong things that they do on the governance side of their investment process. And actually, they are taking, in a soft sense, some environmental factors. And they do care about the you know, social side a little bit, in, certainly inside their company, if not inside their investment process. So you're saying, well, actually, if they had to go through that process you're talking about, they probably wouldn't apply for a label. And I, I will put money that actually they won't apply for a label. But when they sit down and write down their document about, well, do we take this into account? Actually, it's not going to be we don't take this into account. It's 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 going to have something along the line. I expect there's a lot of fund managers in this world that probably along those will be in the same position. Yes, but it, it it's going it's looking beyond SDR as the lab, the bit of label rules that are mm-hmm. coming and into that dis sustainable disclosure requirements. I mean, the clue is in the name. Unfortunately, all the focus is on the labels, but the labels will impact a proportion of the industry. The whole industry is impacted by disclosure. So having a fund, having a fund, like you say, that that sort of does it, but doesn't, has never needed to articulate it, all they have to do is sit down and articulate what they do, which is actually good. But then you've got anti-greenwashing rules that come in, at the same time as the um, SDR policy statement, which says you can't describe anything in a way that you can't back up. So you're saying about, you know, having a conversation with a a manager, having a conversation where they can tell you the sort of things they do, and then being able to demonstrate in writing. So, oh, yes, we engage with all our companies. Yeah, of course you do. So where's your engagement policy? It will be virtual requirement of an IFA to say if they're if they're talking to a company and 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 the company is saying, you know, yes, we're engaging, we're trying to encourage change, but we're not applying for a label. That's okay. Then um, can I have a copy of your engagement policy? Because if it's not written down, a bit like consumer duty, if it's not written down, you don't do it. So you can't. So that would be potentially greenwashing. Oh yes, we engage with all the companies to make them better. Greenwashing mm-hmm. because you can't prove it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, there's degrees. So within this industry, everybody, every fund manager says, I support my investing companies because, you know, and he can turn around and say, who wouldn't support their investing companies? Yes, exactly. But there's also, once you dig in, there's degrees of support and different ways that people support and different whatever. So it's not an undifferentiated space. It's, it's hard as someone's external analyst to figure out what people are doing and, 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 to, to, and to differentiate. But it's certainly not a, you know, just one bland, we engage no, but 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 in order for advisors, again, looking at consumer duty, but the subsets of prod and cobs of of consumer duty, target market, having better target market statements so that advisors can meet their their, their client segmentation aspects that sit under c- consumer duty, and part of that will be, if I've got a client who's interested in an improvers strategy, even though we can't have an improver's label, I'd like to recommend this EIS or VCT because the the, the area they're operating in, the work they're doing is, is great. Oh, yeah, uh, fine. And I understand why they don't have a label, but they need to be able to articulate that message. But it's going to be quite a fine line between using language which they might use today and then post SDR language which will come under the anti-greenwashing rules, have they got a process in place that they can describe, not just verbally describe, but say, yep, we'll attach it to a PDF. This is how we engage with businesses to make them better. Now, if it's just engaging with business to make them more profitable, you're not going to fail anti-greenwashing. But the minute you describe and put in a word, you know, more sustainable, more environmentally aware as soon as you come into there you run the risk of describing something that the buyer wants Uh that you think you do but actually when push comes to shove it's no more than it happens when it happens approach rather than this is a methodical approach you can take any investee company drop them into that process and we can show you what we've done with it Uh around engagement and and Uh getting them to improve yeah, so so you mentioned that this is one of the themes of this is called anti-greenwashing. How bad do you think greenwashing is out there? <laughs> so like, um, it's sort of it's a combination of how long's a piece of string yeah. <laughs> and, and, and a neg- and a negative circular argument. So we found some if we could find something to wrap the never-ending piece of string around, we would then we would then get somewhere. It's, I mean, I mean, do you think there's a think there's a lot of people doing a little bit, and a few people doing it really badly? Do you think there's quite a few people doing it badly? Well, there's, what, there's, what, what do you think? There's so many different nuances to it now. Yeah. So, so greenwashing is a collective term. Yeah. So you've got green hushing, mm-hmm. which is you've got inadvertent greenwashing, which is we genuinely believe what we're doing is 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 fantastic, and because we genuinely believe what we're doing is fantastic, we haven't actually have we don't have the governance in place to check whether what we're doing is actually fantastic. So that would be inadvertent greenwashing. Yes, we're doing this, 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 and this. And then someone comes in and says, yeah, but how? What do you mean how? We're just doing it. Yeah, but you you must know how you're doing what you're well, doing. It's obvious. <laughs> yeah, it's obvious, the fact that we're doing it. Go back again to advisors. Of course, my, my suitability letter's delivering good outcome because, look, you can read it yourself. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, but how did you get there? doesn't matter i got there it's good well how do you know it's good 
you have to evidence that it's good and and so companies will have to do the same around greenwashing so are they deliberately greenwashing in which case you don't need to wait for the anti-greenwashing rules to come in with sdr under uh, consumer duty everything has to be fair clear and not misleading and if you are actively deliberately saying we've got the world's best esg and sustainability process and actually it's a part-time student <laughs> from the local primary school <laughs> whose who, who's teacher sent them out into the garden to plant a few things and they've taken them on actually it's a it's the child of one of the directors yeah that's our esg and sustainability person because they understand what green means okay being silly but you know it's it's not far from that silliness to actually i know a company that's a bit like that yeah it's a part-timer don't know what they're doing and all of a sudden the marketing to have taken that and turned it into a 50 person department never use the word 50 but the implication was that it's a massive um, department, really full of experts, commitment from management, and it's not, no, we just needed an ESG fund like our competitors, so we launched one. So there's deliberate greenwashing, green hushing, where you provide lots of information about what you're doing, doing that's good and never say anything about the stuff that needs to be left under the table. That's green hushing. There's a there's a huge amount of it going on. And, and what I said earlier about Catch-22, would we need the FCA to bring in anti-greenwashing rules if there weren't a problem? Mm-hmm. And a problem yes. isn't, oh, yeah, there was... A, somebody remembers some advert a couple of years ago which wasn't really that good. Oh, right, we'll bring in some new rules then, just in case somebody comes up with an advert that nobody can remember again. It's not. It's in. It's you know. It's built. It's built in and locked in. It's where an investment manager launches something that's you know on a scale of ten is size two, and the marketing department turn it into a size nine, mm-hmm. nine and a half, and better than anyone else's. Yeah, yeah. As you say, I think there's been a plethora of every fund manager of any size feels they have to have an ESG fund option now, and whether those will all be implemented equally. I'm, I don't look at the quoted fund manager space anymore, so I'm not quite sure. But my gut feeling is, as as was normal, there will be some people who are doing it very well and some people who aren't. Yep. Yeah, but I think probably one of the more dangerous areas is the inadvertent greenwashing. There's no intent whatsoever. And, and that that can continue almost indefinitely until some ex, in external body, it might be the FCA, it might be a competitor, actually blows the whistle whereas someone who's doing deliberate greenwashing says we can get away with this up to this point and then what's our exit strategy here okay how do we change what we're doing before we get found out but let's push the envelope as far as we can and get away with describing this product maybe move a comma somewhere wait for someone else to spot we move the comma and say that doesn't really quite work okay put a semicolon in break 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 the message whatever but they're deliberately doing it the inadvertent greenwashing could carry on believing that they're doing the right thing and yet potentially misleading if you go back to delivering good outcomes clients are writing out checks or transferring money however they do it into products that they thought were delivering a certain thing and so did the managers but as it turned out because there weren't wasn't good enough governance in place within the firm nobody took a step back to say you know we've been giving we're telling everybody how good we are yeah how do we know we're good 
To what extent do you think this is a measurement issue? I mean, one of the things that I've seen over the past two, three years is the plethora of frameworks, which all mean different things, some of which are nice words and well-meaning, some of which are very intense measurement. How I'm not sure how effective all the, even the ones that do measure actually measure things. Is there, and obviously there's a different, issue about compatibility between fr- different frameworks about if you compare is this you know you which category you fit in on this framework or this framework and th- i know that's a big question but d- d- do you see this as being a real problem out there yeah it's a <clears throat> it's a problem who for those who want to do good but don't really know which version of good is the most applicable for them so that that's so they could they could be involved in the inadvertent greenwashing because they've chosen one route and and maybe sort of conflated yeah we like that approach and we like this approach thinking that if you join them together you'll end mm-hmm. up with a hybrid that's better and or you could have ended up with pick. yeah yeah you've you've in accidentally taken the worst aspects of both frameworks or processes put them together to come up with something that because the intention was right you haven't spotted isn't delivering what you're you'll say you're delivering so it's going to involve a huge amount of careful management and i I think like i said about consumer duty because everything has to be fair clear and not misleading you should have checks and balances in place to make sure that's that's happening all the anti-greenwashing does is actually sort of codify an aspect of fair, clear, and not misleading around ESG and sustainability. So, uh, you know, a fund manager saying we've got the best. Oh, I'm trying to think. Internet, a, a global growth fund. It's like, yeah. So what? You know, it, w- ask them to quantify it. Well, look at our performance numbers. Oh, okay, then. But outside of that, nobody's interested in anything else, are they? But the minute you make a claim in the green sustainable space. You're going into subjectivity. There's nothing subjective about the performance of a fund over the last three months. It's of course, nice the fund might say, "Yeah, well, don't measure us over three months. Measure us over two months, twenty-nine days, and six <laughs> hours, because mm-hmm. we've got the best one." Okay, even that's measurable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but the marketing would be, "Oh, around the last three months, we've been the best." We haven't been the best over three months. We said around three months. We didn't say three months. We said around three months <laughs> and two months, 29 days and seven hours. We were the best. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but in the green space, there's so much more room for good intentions to be reported incorrectly, for deliberate intention. So, I mean, it, it's horrible to think of fund managers deliberately going out there. They won't go out there to lie. It's that it's that collective and I think the industry has is slightly guilty of this in the past, that collective, if people want to believe that's what we're doing, we won't dissuade them. Mm. Yes, people, people. yeah, that, that's, a, that's a dangerous argument. Yeah, yeah, which is if, if push comes to shove, we checked it with the lawyers, we never said what you thought we said. Mm. <laughs> but you put a comma in there. We're free to use commas. If you inferred from the way that that comma sits in the sentence that we were doing something, I'm afraid that is your problem, not ours. Too much of financial services hidden behind fine print in the past, I think. Yep. Yep, but fair, clear and not misleading Mm -hmm. is a really good mantra to have as far as consumer duty is concerned. 
And then you double down on that and say, if we're making any claims at all around ESG issues, we've got anti-greenwashing there to do a double check. So, uh, and I think that's going to impact probably that any negative impacts of that revolve around processes and additional work and that sits at the fund manager end i think SD, the labels and anti-greenwashing are absolutely brilliant for advisors because it means they can definitely rely far more on what companies put in front of them because they've got that double well assuming the company is not deliberately breaking the anti-greenwashing rules and assuming the company is deliberately not breaking consumer duty as long as I feel that those are not likely, what they're telling me now is probably better quality than they were telling me a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. At the very least, if something's labelled up an ESG fund, you know that there is something meaningful behind that. That doesn't mean that you don't have to find out how that ESG is being. You know, how it's done it might be strong on governance, a weak environment, or strong environment, yes, weak exactly. governance. Exactly. But, but, that, but that's the detail. That that's the that's um, exploring the how. I think the, the the reason we've got anti-greenwashing coming in is because the what it is has, in, in too many cases, has been described as something significantly better, bigger, greater mm-hmm. than it actually is. Mm-hmm. So if the what it is is more clearly defined and subject to mm-hmm. these far more tighter rules, then advisors can actually have conversations with the clients, especially when you've got the annual disclosure statement and a client chooses, and let's say, an improver's EIS. So someone goes for, launches an EIS, goes for an approver's label. All the advisor has to do each annual review is sit down and pull down the, um, the annual statement and say, let's compare it to last year's. Now, I genuinely believe that's something that a client, you get to a position where they'd actually be looking forward to their next annual review. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, because oh yeah, I, the advisor gets to show me how how the companies are improving. Brilliant! It's a great conversation. Oh yeah, they then get to explain half an hour why the thing's gone down. But let's get over that. It goes down. The investments go down. It's more interesting. Have they improved on last year? That's a fantastic document to have in front of a client. Slightly more difficult when every year you have to keep saying, and here's just confirmation they haven't built ESG or sustainability in. Although you notice they do do the G. Because at some point, even the most ardent climate change denier couldn't be bothered by a client is going to say, but what about the risks? If the whole world is shifting down mm-hmm. this E route, aren't there opportunities that I could be making money out of these idiots that are going down this you know, sustainable route that I don't believe in, but someone's making money out of it? And I don't want to be the one that's not making money out of it and losing money at the same time because I've been dogmatically thrown into a fund that doesn't take these things into account. That that's real world economics, isn't it? That 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 puts opinion to one side and says, if someone's making money and someone's losing money, can I have the first one, not the second? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So way back at the start of our discussion, which seems a little time ago now, you threw out this statement that you think we're moving beyond or have moved beyond ESG. Personally, I don't think we have moved beyond ESG yet, but the direction of travel, as you say, is clear. How long do you think it will be before you know, people before we actually generally move in that direction? I mean, you've got these changes coming. Okay. How long do you think before the market's actually changed properly? I think the change will come Q3, mm-hmm. when we get quite- the policy statement on SDR. And what 
what I sh- so there's a qualification to that sort of ESG isn't around anymore. I think what it'll because of the disclosure aspects. I think fun, the, the marketing of ESG as as a solution driven investment strategy. Invest in our ESG fund, and the world will be better. That will go because that's difficult to to justify under greenwashing. However, I think it'll be very difficult to find a fund that doesn't do ESG. And the and and when you get to that stage, and it might take a bit of lead in time, but post SDR, I don't think it'll take long before the vast majority of fund managers embed ESG. So it becomes the norm and therefore not something to talk about. The, the What's to talk about is, oh, I've just been speaking to Jill, who's an IFA I, 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 I meet with sometimes. She's found a fund that doesn't do any governance either. Not just the E and the S. They don't do the G. Unbelievable. You should go and have a look at them. It's quite a laugh. Um, you know, <laughs> so everybody will do it. What the language is about sustainability. Because the it, we, we haven't got the ESG disclosure requirement rules coming in. We've got the sustainable disclosure requirements coming in. ESG is a, is a sort of partial subset of that. And if ESG gets relegated, in, I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but it gets relegated to something everybody does as part of a risk management, then the, the, the weirdness about ESG is about those that haven't tried to mitigate investment risk by applying ESG. And it's taken out of the marketing arena. Therefore, you can have more meaningful conversations about how, what is the strategy and how is the fund invested? Is it conventional? Yeah, taken for granted ESG is in there as a risk tool. Is it a label or is it a values-based sort of ethical or responsible option? And so that's that's where what I mean by you don't have to talk about ESG, forget about it because everybody's doing it. Now we need to talk about the conventional label, sustainable label, or, or values-driven ethical options. Those are the conversations to have with clients. And hopefully, very soon, we we will never hear again an IFA saying, my clients don't want ESG. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, I, de- I definitely hope that's where we get to. Yes, sooner the better. Yes. So what I'd like to do now is quickly, I, I've held you some time, so um, I'd like to move on, quickly move on to our favourite questions. So I'll, th- okay. I'll throw these at you and we'll get your thoughts. Tell us about a time you failed and what you learned from it. If I look back on my life, it's a, it's a series of permanent failures, especially mm-hmm. my wife tells me. <laughs> yeah. It's a failure you didn't do this. It's a failure. No. Most of what I do has been a failure, but, but I don't see it as a failure. I just, I, I never stop pushing and prodding with a pointed stick, to quote Monty Python, you know, having a go. And if it doesn't work, I'll change. If it doesn't work because it was an idiot idea, I've worked with some work with really good people in the past that have said, I like what you're saying, but you, but that's a daft idea, and they've stopped me. Other things I've failed at, it's failed because I didn't do it in the right way, mm-hmm. and therefore you learn and track. So, yeah, it's life's a permanent failure. I can't pick out one single incident. I'm 60. There's been thousands and thousands <laughs> of them. <laughs> We're all human. So we all know the EIS and VCT industry is great in many ways, but it's far from perfect. Is there anything you'd like to change about it in particular? Well, probably following the lines of our conversation, I think it will be just to embed ESG as a risk tool, not as a marketing, not to claim this is green, just get E, S and G fundamentally built into 
the valuation process of a company and the governance and management of a business? How does it manage its ESG? And then start to put some numbers and processes around that to, to quantify it. That's it. Okay. Yeah. I'm all for that as well. At least they started. Yeah. So as listeners know, I'm an avid reader, always up for suggestions. Is there anything out there you like and really recommend? Other than the obvious Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh, two. One one I have, one I'm reading. The one I'm I have read is a book called Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Staffon. Mm-hmm. which I just think, why on earth has nobody made that into a film? It's just one of the best things I've ever, ever read. And the other one I'm reading at the moment is, is uh, if I take the good aspects of it, it's it's a, it's a framework for a survivable future. It's called Nomad Century by Gaia Vince. And it's looking at the way climate will drive population movement. So basically... For every degree, you're going to see X hundred million people, can't remember what the number is, but for every one degree increase in temperature, you're going to see so many hundred million, mostly, migrate north and how that's going to impact. And and in the life, may not be in my lifetime, but the lifetime of my grandchildren, they will have somewhere very, very different to live. And this idea of we've got a hundred immigrants coming across a, a boat will just look like a, why did they even get flustered about that? Because at the moment, there's 50,000 a day coming and we have to accommodate them as a society rather than stop them. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's climate driven. So that's what I'm reading at the moment. Okay, that sounds like it's going to be an interesting debate. Um, yeah. What do you wish you knew when you started the world of sort of ESG or, or green issues that you know now? When I should have known, maybe this is one of my failures, that, that regulations don't always arrive when I think they're going to arrive, and they don't necessarily arrive in the format that I've been telling everybody they would arrive in. So I'm, I've been conscious of talking today about this policy statement that's coming out around SDR. And although I've sat on the FCA DLAG, the Disclosure and Labels Advisory Group, and some may say I talk with authority about this thing, I'm still talking with authority about something I had no idea what it's going to look <laughs> like when it comes. I think I know. Mm-hmm. That's Descartes, isn't it? I think I know, therefore I am an expert in regulation. I'm not. <laughs> I'm a guesser. I'd like to say it's an educated guess, but yeah, I wish I had realised that when I before I go off on one, that what I'm describing may not necessarily turn out to be what I say it is. That's a humbling thing as well, I think. Yes, yes, I think a little, a little bit of humbleness goes a long way, I think. Yeah. So if anyone wants to find out more about what you're doing at ESG Accord, where should they go? Well, we're launching our new website called the Accord Initiative on the 4th of July. Should, and should be will... historic by the time this podcast oh, yeah, goes out. Yeah, so I launched. We launched. The place to go is the Accord Initiative because it's a great site. All the tools I've mentioned throughout this conversation that we provide advisors and a lot, a lot of educational material, all free to access. So advisors can download a consumer duty and SDR-friendly compliance process they can add on to their existing process and it's free to access because we've got broad industry support for delivering that so the uh, accordinitiative.co.uk is is the go-to place on anything around ESG and sustainability well the price sounds right for any advisor and we'll post a link in the show notes as well 
So, thank you very much for coming on today, Lee. I really enjoyed our discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Brian. I hope you enjoyed our two-part discussion with Lee. Changes will affect all advisors, fund managers, and investors, and I think Lee gave a great perspective on how the world is changing for the better. As usual, you can get full show notes with links at harmonandco.com forward slash podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review with lots of stars on your favorite podcast app. You can also subscribe directly on all good podcast services and players or through the link in the show notes. We can be contacted at inquiries at harmonco.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.